What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. For one, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Growth with Portia, a weekly conversation for your personal and professional growth. Here's your host, Portia Booker. Hey, listeners, welcome to Growth with Portia. I'm your host, Portia Booker, and yes, this is my real name. So question for you, did you bring your curious mind today? If so, I don't want to keep you waiting. Let's dive in. There's a a change agent within all of us. I used to believe that my story didn't matter until I started getting messages from people thanking me for being so transparent. So question for my listeners today. What part of your story, the good, the bad, the ugly, and in between, will you use to help change someone's life, including your own? Let that sink in. So today I'm joined by a returning guest who is changing the narrative in both mental health and the foster care system. She is the author of the Black Foster Youth Handbook, a compilation of lessons learned to successfully age out of foster care and holistically heal. Many of you may or may not know, but I do. The book is an international bestseller and an NAACP Image Award nominated literary work. She is also the host of the Soulful Liberation podcast. And of course, we can't forget this. She's also a holistic health coach. So without further delay, Welcome back to Guru Portia, Miss Angela Kahada Banks. How are you doing today, Angela? I'm doing really well, and it's so, so great to see you and be back on. So I'm just excited to dive into the conversation today. Absolutely. It's always good to connect with you, especially since this month of May houses two passions of both of ours, both foster care and mental health. So I'm excited to really dive into the conversation. So Angela, I love to always start off my conversations with gratitude. What would you say you are grateful for today? I'm grateful for so much. I'm grateful for my husband, another breath today, um, waking up with sound mind, I don't feel stuck in my bed today. I'm up and moving. (laughs) Um, I've been drinking some water, started off, you know, the morning right. 
Um, and I just feel a lot more clear as far as the movement that um, I've been bestowed with the vision of what I'm doing um, in my journey, not just in my career, but just in my life. So I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful for so many things, but um, I think that all starts with like just the breath of waking up and, you know, exploring another day. I love how you mentioned, Angela, a sound mind, because I feel that in this world that we encompass, there's so much noise, whether it's through social media, our emails, our cell phones, pinging, whatever it is, I can definitely resonate with that. Because for the longest time, I was someone who was fully engulfed by the noise of society, you know, our inner critic, or, you know, constantly happening to be online instead of, you know, detaching from that world and really becoming more in tune with myself. So I can definitely relate there. I would say for me, I'm grateful for my support system because for the longest time, I did not have one, a solid one that is. You know, when I really started on my mental health journey, it was just me. And then over time, as I learned to surrender and trust, that's when my support system really came into full effect. And so on those moments when I'm feeling a little like, you know, the downward roller coaster spiral, here comes my support system to be my uplifting flotation device. But that's for a whole other day. Oh, I love it. And so, Anna, what would you say to, how would you say your support system has really helped you in the last, you know, couple years, especially because with you being a part of originally the foster care system, you probably didn't have a strong one. So how important to you is a support system today? Yeah, um, I think that, well, first of all, kudos for the trust and the elements that you just shared. I think I'm still building my support system because there was a specific um, version of myself that I created in order to really survive um, those crisis situations that I was a part of even before foster care, um, leading up into foster care. And then all these adults that I had to rely on that in those moments didn't show up for me in the ways that I needed even providing those basic needs, you know? Um, And when I say basic needs, I think a lot of people think like just food, water, shelter, but I'm also talking about like the nurturing and the love and the care. And those are like very key basic needs, right? The trust, the trusting environment, consistency, those things that are very important for you to have just a stable mindset and be able to just breathe and say like, I'm at peace. And I never really had that. It was continuously changing and moving and nothing was a, was ever stable. So I think it's been a lot of unlearning for me. And I recognize that with my relationship with my mother being very strenuous, that I ended up at first connecting and looking for individuals that had a lot of her negative traits completely unconsciously. (laughs) And so even though it was like, um, my intention was like, oh, I, you know, I want to connect with this person and to be positive and things. I would overlook all of these other situations um, that were extremely red flags in relationships and friendships. And 
that was draining. So, you know, now I think the past couple of years, really diving deep, deep into that um, unconscious aspect and making those unconscious ideals conscious. <laughs> so that way I can work on them and heal, not just cope, but actually heal it and release it and connect deeper with um, individuals and know that it's a genuine connection. Um, and on their end, it's not a like superficial connection um, which a lot of times that's what I ended up being, uh, connected with, with all these different individuals that, um, showed up a certain way and they went hard for like two months in our relationships and connections. And then, and I'm talking about friendships as well, like with women. And it just like broke my heart every time because then, you know, they showed me a certain side of themselves. And then after two months, it would be like, they ghosted me or, you know, I didn't hear from them. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Like, what is it that I'm doing? Um, Cause I'm a very hard lover. So it's like, you know, I, I give a hundred percent and it was just like, what am I doing wrong here? So I really had to look at myself and some of it was me, you know, the choices that I was making, but then I, I realized that I, you know, I still have the power to make those different choices and to learn from those experiences. So now I think um, one, obviously my husband, different parts of my birth family that I've been able to reconnect with deeper, like with my grandmother and my aunt, my cousins, and a, and a lot of other women that I've met along the way that connect very strongly with some of the core values I hold, like freedom, holistic health, um, taking care of yourself, and also like really focused on that recipro reciprocal aspect of relationships, right? Not just one-sided um, on either end. So yeah, it's, it's a huge monumental aspect of my life. I think relationships, I talked to my grandmother for Christmas this past Christmas in 2021. And I asked her what was the most important thing. It was her 80th birthday. And um, I asked her what was, what was the most important thing looking back in her life. And she said, the people um, that you love, your family, the relationships that you make in life. And that really struck me because um, of my experiences, I had always like had family, fa family first, family first, family first, right? And then at 16, getting put into foster care and you're ripped away from your family, you have to make something else a priority because your family is not accessible. So that was like huge for me. And that was just last year, right? But just huge for me to like, wow, like, how much of myself did I like lose it in that experience of crisis and survival? And even now still trying to, um, if I say that something's a priority, have that reflected and also be able to connect with the right folks, um, not with the lens of my trauma, but with the lens of my healing. Ooh, and I love what you mentioned about, you know, family, family now means more to me than it ever has, especially when I was in that boat of survival, just like you. And I want to go back to something you mentioned about unlearning. What would you say, Angela, was the hardest thing to unlearn and also be able to heal at the same time? Was it a limiting belief about yourself or what was something that you had to unlearn and heal that you're still kind of working through today? Yes. Hmm. 
I would have to say there are several, so I'll pick one. <laughs> the identity that I've, that I created, um, to survive. And there's so many layers to that identity that, um, I feel like every time I'm like, oh yeah, like, I think I'm finally here. And then like something else. Right. And I'm like, there's another layer. My gosh. Um, but that is something I'm continuously trying to not even trying actively, um, healing. It shows up in so many different ways. One of the ways that it shows up is burying myself in my purpose. And I think that this is very, a different concept that I've had to like wrap my head around because I think a couple years ago, and really since I was 16, my focus has been on my purpose and um, how do I give back into the world and how do I, you know, do those things and stepping into that and living that, living and breathing it kind of also in different ways erase my humanness because I didn't focus on like my humanness. I didn't focus on like all the other multi-dimensions of who I am as a person, like my health and my passions. And again, my relationships, social life, right? I had the intention, but I had never had the space or created this space to do that, to fit that for myself and for my life. I've always been either in uh, survival mode or like teeter-tottering between survival mode and healing. And me knowing that the, the last layer of, of that is really being freedom focused and freedom centered, a free being moving around the world. And that doesn't mean that your healing has stopped or anything, but it's a completely different shift than teeter tottering between surviving and healing. And so um, anyways, this, these are ways that I've conceptualized it, but um, it's just very interesting because I think there's different moments where you can step into the healing space and then something happens or whatever, and you end up getting triggered or having, you know, all these other different things that you believe that you have already healed um, or are already healing. And so it's like, okay, how am I getting back and forth between these two areas? Like if I'm healing. So I think I found myself there um, the last time I connected with my mom last year. Um, which I decided in 2022, I will not be doing that just for my own mental health and financial (laughs) health and all the other things. But that's a huge piece that I'm still currently um, unraveling and healing um, on so many different levels, because there are things that, you know, I want to have kids soon. And I know that that's a whole other layer of things, you know, that will be unearthed from my past whether or not I feel okay about it now, being a mom, being a mommy, that's completely, it has a completely different space. And I hold certain things um, around that because of the experiences that I've had. And I also have visions for it because of the experiences that I've had. So it's, I think it's just a space of recognizing where you are and holding space for that, but also being very clear on where you want to go. And um, having relationships and uh, not self-sabotaging your progress. And I think I've done that a lot with 
trying to reintroduce certain people where I'm like, when I'm, I feel like I'm right at the cusp of like really releasing something. Um, and I'm speaking specifically as an example with my, the relationship with my mother. And that was how I was last year. It was like right at the cusp of like releasing these ideas of abandonment and these inner feelings about it. And then I reconnected with my mom and I really wanted it to work. And I was so excited about it. And again, she was okay for a couple of months and then it all went downhill. (laughs) And so from there it was, okay, this is what's, this is what it is. And I, you know, skyrocketed down to a depression and I had to pull myself out of that. Luckily I have the tools and all the things now, but I just know now how I've been cyclical around self-sabotage in those ways. And it's not to say not to have hope or not to um, dream or not to want the different things, but also acknowledging your own humanness. And um, you don't have to be strong and put yourself continuously in to be strong in these situations. And I found myself continuously like, okay, I'm, I just need to relax. I need to be at peace, you know, and I'm, I'm there, I'm hundred percent there. And then, well, I think I'm healed enough. I can connect with, so you know what I mean? And it's like, you're self-sabotaging. That's what it is. It's not you trying to take on or needing another lesson. You got the lesson, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, six, seven, eight, nine, tenth 10th time, <laughs> take the lesson, take the lesson. And you're, it's not going to be a difference, like leave it alone. And so, um, I would say that's probably one of the things for sure is just, I don't have to be strong all the time. I don't have to create situations for me to be strong. I can leave it alone. I've learned the lesson and I, I need to rest. I need to move forward. I need to connect, you know, and I need to move forward in, in my journey to, and for me, it's freedom at the end of the road, but. No, I definitely agree with you, Angela. It's, definitely taking that pause, acknowledging that today I'm allowed to feel a hundred percent and not kind of put on the strong 10 man suit that we tend to sometimes do unintentionally. So I definitely can agree there. We're going to take our first quick break right here on group Porsche. Everybody stick with us. We will be right back. Welcome back right here on Google Porsche. I'm Joe Motley with Miss Angela Cajada Banks. And we were just having a great conversation, of course, about gratitude and unlearning and relearning positive behaviors. So Angela, as I had mentioned in the beginning, May is Mental Health Awareness Month and also Foster Care Month. So how does being in the foster care system, obviously you mentioned since 16 you were there and then, you know, of course, We are grateful that you are with us today. How does being in foster care impact mental health? Wow. Um, It's every 
facet of mental health, honestly. When you think about a child or a young person um, getting ripped away from their family, um, regardless of the circumstances, that is trauma. Your whole identity of who you thought you were <laughs> and who you rooted in is completely thrown out the window. Um, so like myself, I was in at 16 and up until that time, I was the older sister. I was a daughter. Um, I was a granddaughter. And of course I was still those things, but it wasn't as prominent. Um, I didn't feel that way. And I was a niece. I was a lot of different things and I held a lot of, of those identities so close to my chest. And so with so much pride and honor, um, and I did my best to do, you know, those roles. And I think going into something as honestly as horrible as, as foster care, it's mentally exhausting um, because you you have to kind of recreate a new identity separate from family, separate from your culture, from things you knew. I was used to being around my grandmother um, and I call her Nana. And she always, you know, made me all types of uh, Mexican dishes. I was in the in there in the kitchen with her all the time. Um, I'm probably the only family member at this time that still, you know, cooks her recipes. I plan on making a recipe book for the family um, soon. As I mentioned earlier, she's 80, and honestly, she was my closest thing to a actual like mother figure. And so not being able to have consistent conversations with her um, or my siblings, who I was very, very close with as well. I was almost like a mother figure to them. Um, and hearing going across the country um, and hearing so many other youth um, that had those similar experiences, being a part of sibling groups, you know, everyone is someone's daughter or son. It just takes a toll on you in ways that you don't even recognize because it's your identity. It's not just like you had um, some nice shoes and it was taken away, you know, or <laughs> you had a guitar that um, you had since five, even though that may be traumatic for some, like it's different than the core pieces of what makes you you. And so, you know, you're placed with strangers, people that don't know you. And they have their own family culture. They have their own roles that they uphold. And they try to, they try to make space for you. I think some, some, some folks um, are foster homes. They try to make space for you in the ways that they can. But a lot of times, they don't know how. So, you know, they already have a daughter. They already have uh, a son or whoever. And you end up being like, you know, this lost, uh, traumatized individual. That's the lens that they see you through. And that's the treatment that you get. And so instead of being in a space, right, around people that value your contribution in a family unit and in a community unit, um, and you have your own cultural pieces that you're able to bring, it's then trying to mold yourself um, into trying to belong and fit in. And a lot of times that's sacrificing Again, other pieces of your identity, because maybe that foster home doesn't have a daughter. Maybe they want you to be their daughter. Um, and I've had those different circumstances as well. So, and how do you, 
kind of balance that if you're a youth you're, or a child and you need basic needs, right? You need housing, you need food, you need water, you need love, care, belonging, you need those things. And you're very different from the culture of that family or that home. Um, how is that actually able, how are you able to connect? How, how are you going to get those basic needs? Um, and you see that the only way you go into survival mode, the only way you're really able to do that is if you morph and fit yourself into the box that has been created. You try to do, you know, everything the right way. You try to be quiet. You try to, you know, what is the best thing that I see everyone else doing so I can do that and fit in. And, you know, a lot of times that still doesn't end up being enough. So for whatever reason, the family, you know, has something else going on or whatever, and you got to move to the next one, the next one, the next one. And that causes a sense of, again, instability. It's, it's not, nothing's ever permanent. There's no point in making a connection with another human because it's going to be fleeting anyways, or uh, very transactional. So like with a lot of social workers and other folks, you know, that they're getting paid to even connect with you, to have a conversation with you. So that internal um, dialogue about like, this person doesn't actually care about me. This person doesn't actually, you know, and that, so that's, there's a lot of different layers there as far as like how um, the systemic aspect is a effect on you. And then the community aspect where you have to redefine yourself to find your community. And then the individual um, aspect of trauma of like, who am I? Like, what am I doing outside the confines of all this trauma? Like, what am I like trying to piece all this together, make it make sense, make it have a purpose, even, you know, like this can't be just happening for no reason. And what is the reason? And why me? You know, so a lot of youth have had a lot of alarming um, and unfortunate uh, mental health things to the to the point that they commit suicide. And that's been something that um, I've spoken out a lot about because, you know, and I've shared that I, I've had suicide ideations as well. And this has followed me, you know, into my adulthood and other things. And luckily, as we mentioned earlier, I've learned how to create a community and, and I have different aspects about my life to support me in, the, in that way. So I don't fall into those spirals. But I mean, for a lot of youth, it's just, you know, haunting PTSD and that trauma replaying over and over and over. Um, and again, like, why did that have to happen to me? Why, you know, who am I? And those are the same questions. And that can feel very, very exhausting and heavy um, to carry with you day to day. That's why a lot of my work really focuses on um, holistic health and healing holistically, because it, it's so, there's so many different layers there. And um, not only do you have to have something to believe in, you have to believe and know that you are worthy um, of life. And I think that's like the basic concept that a lot of youth and, and uh, young people are not getting that message. They're not feeling and, and knowing that message. Um, there's always something that disrupts that message. And it gets internalized, this idea of like, I'm not, I'm never, I'm never going to be enough. I'm not enough. And no one really likes me. No one really cares about me. Nobody really loves me. I'm here alone. What's the point? You know, what, why would I be here? Why am I here? Would it really make a difference if I was gone? It just kind of spirals down, right? So 
Um, I think in every facet, foster care absolutely affects your mental health. You know, Angela, I want to go back to something you mentioned about identity. You know, you had brought up how you had one identity when you went in, you were a daughter, a granddaughter, you know, the cousin. And then when you go into the foster care system, it's like that identity is stripped from you. Yeah. And so for other young people who are currently in the foster care system, Angela, what tips or advice can you leave with them about their identity? How can they embrace this kind of new identity with grace, but also still keep parts of their old identity of being a brother, a a son, a nephew? What tips can you leave with them today, Angela? Yeah, I love this question. Um, I would say that you have to make a choice first and foremost. You have to make a choice of who you want to be. Um, And it's not easy. It is not (laughs) easy to make that choice because um, for a long time, we can feel like we don't have a choice and, you know, it's out of our, completely out of our control, which is not true. Um, You get to choose who you want to become and who you are outside the confines of the trauma. You don't have to embody the trauma. You can be an explorer, um, all the different avenues of who you used to be and who you want to become. I used to uh, love singing and um, I used to love um, all the arts, really. I used to put on like shows for my grandma on Saturdays um, with my siblings. We used to do like dance competitions in the living room. Um, And um, we used to, you know, put together skits to act and singing and all kinds of stuff, um, poetry. And when I went into foster care, at that point in time in my life, I was just so drained and exhausted, um, just just exhausted um, spiritually. And I think allowing a space for yourself to rest, um, communicating with other people what you really need, and that would mean that you ask yourself what you really need. And just allowing yourself to pause, allowing yourself to acknowledge what is happening. So that way you can begin to look at what other opportunities are available to you um, in your experience. What resources? Who is really trying to reach out and, and support you during this time? And it's, like, it's a horrible and difficult time. But who are those people? And really start to connect with them, really start to communicate with them. And be, begin to explore that, you know, if you used to, you know, love singing or um, art, music and other things, how can you get involved in those things? Maybe the school that you're at, you know, offers something. Um, maybe the state can pay for some classes, you know, but that type of creativity and other outlets for you to really be able to express yourself is really going to be important because I know for me, I'm still learning how to unsuppress who I've had to become. And, you know, you end up after all those times of trying to conform and 
be a certain way and all that type of stuff, you, you compress yourself and suppress yourself into this, you know, small little box and you live a small little life because of fear, because of, you know, all these things. And really it's about expressing yourself and, and really engaging in the things that make you uh, joyful and at peace and feel love and give back. So, yeah. I love that, Angela. I definitely agree when it comes to expression. I mean, that's why I love hosting shows, podcasting and everything, because it gives me that ability to satisfy two needs of mine, expressing myself, connecting with other people like you, and also healing, because I'm a firm believer that art saves no matter what kind of medium it is, whether it's painting, spoken word, et cetera. Art indeed does heal. We're going to take another quick break right here on Google Porsche. Everybody stick with us. We will be right back. Everybody, welcome back right here on Google Porsche. I'm Joe Remotely with Miss Angela Kahada Banks, and we're continuing our conversation, of course, around mental health, unlearning things, and also including more positivity. So, Angela, since our last conversation, you know, I'm just curious as to what areas of the foster care system have you seen an improvement? And maybe what are some areas that still maybe require a little more attention? Can you elaborate on that? I think that this is a hard question for me because um, looking at the statistics versus the verbiage. um, (laughs) So if you follow the verbiage, right, um, a lot of times it'll say like the foster care system is improving and um, you know, this happened and we passed the law and was the law implemented? What statistics actually changed? What, like, what's happening with the youth? What's happening with the families? So (laughs) as much as I want to be positive about this, I'm going to just have to be real about it. And honestly, there's really not much that has, has really shifted as far as the, the positive impact for families and youth in this system. But I think that's a huge piece of why, because it's it's a system that was created for not positive things. I mean, it's marketed as for positive things, but the truth is the foster care system is a billion dollar industry. And so for any billion dollar industry, why would they want to really change something that is um, so profitable for the economy? Um, So I think that's, a very interesting aspect there. What I would like to see is organizations and the community really coming together to do some damage control in what's actually happening. So if we are recognizing that the economy is focused on supporting this for-profit billion dollar industry, Um, how are we, 
how are we able to really dismantle something that is a billion dollar industry with all those different resources and billions of dollars equals power, right? Um, with nonprofit organizations, how are we in competition or how are we um, really able to make sustainable change if we're doing that through non, I mean, realistically. And I think about that through um, these different percentages, right? So over 80% of the homeless population being made up of people that have lived experience in foster care. Same thing for the uh, prison, foster care to prison pipeline. Um, and over 70% of girls and women uh, with lived experience in foster care being human trafficked. So thinking about all those other billion dollar industries as well, and how the foster care system is interconnected with that. I don't think <laughs> that um, other than the, the few policies and procedures that have been shifted over the years, that the implementation has been followed through, mainly because states and on the federal level are not incentivized to implement them financially, right? In the ways that other things are incentivized. So <laughs> I'm trying to see how to answer your question. There's, I think that there's just so many different systemic barriers there politically, finance, uh, economically, and the way that we're currently going about it, which is, oh, we're going to have to change it from the inside out, or we're going to have to, you know, start another nonprofit, which is competing for other federal government, uh, government funds and grants and stuff. And it's, you know, if everybody's competitive, competing for that, all these nonprofits competing for that same pot of money, and there's no sustainable community support um, or ind independent or private financial support for, for the actual solutions towards long-term systemic shifts, then we're just going to keep on basically throwing darts in, in the dark because it's not actually shifting anything. This is a system that has been fine-tuning their policies and procedures for the past 160 plus years. So when you're thinking about that, um, it doesn't take 160 plus years to shift a system that wants to be shifted, that actually has the priorities for youth and families. I mean, you see different companies like Amazon and other things that when they have a specific solution and they act on the solution, they have capital like billions of dollars, they're taking over the entire market and it's shifting everything. It shifts entire culture. So for me, that tells me not just Amazon, but several other companies um, that are for profit. And I'm thinking about it as a company because it is. Um, just recognizing if those were actually the priorities, family well-being, reunification with birth families, all these other different things, then it would be so within the past, you know, even 20 or even 10 years. Um, so I think that uh, I don't really have much to say, honestly, about the positive aspect currently. Um, because that wouldn't be genuine to the youth and families or even my family of what's actually happening. But um, those are things that I think can greatly shift. So, Angela, I got to ask this. I mean, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, in the news about the Roe versus Wade. And I got to ask this. If this Roe versus Wade gets overturned or changes, 
what impacts do you think that will really have on the way the foster care system is as far as children getting adopted sooner? So I kind of, I guess there's a lot of things that I can say. I don't really know much about the case, but I can speak to those particular points that you pointed out. I don't 100% agree with adoption um, in all cases. And secondly, I don't think regulating women's bodies is the, should be the focus <laughs> in, in the connection with foster care. I think it's a definitely a systemic issue. Majority of families that are touched by the child welfare system, and I will say including my family, um, a lot of times the focus is neglect. And so neglect actually also follows under um, poverty, a lot of symptoms of poverty. And so when we're thinking about those elements, um, access to resources, access to um, financial literacy education, um, access to community support, mental health services. I mean, the, the list goes on as far as where our focus would be more beneficial um, towards supporting foster care and not just foster care, but families that are touched by foster care. And like this narrative that, uh, you know, child welfare or foster care is like this gatekeeping aspect for adoption. It's just kind of like, I think that there are a lot um, smaller percentages of families that actually would need adoption support um, if other systemic issues were alleviated um, versus versus that being the go-to, or as I said, also um, regulating women's bodies. I, I just think that <laughs> that goes to more of a systemic and classism issue. I mean, like the quality of the education behind like your, your body, your, your family, um, financial literacy, what other options are available to you, even the idea of um, long-term support and connection and I don't know I, I feel like the there's a lot of dehumanization um in that process and more so what's going to be more again ec economically sustainable for these institutions because abortion has become a very profitable industry as well <laughs> I mean it's just it's just amazing I don't know there's there's a lot on the economic aspect that I think people are not recognizing plays a huge part in these political quote unquote aspects of our lives. And we like, we as a people need to really look at our humanity in this. Like this, this is, I don't know. I haven't been aware of that. So I'm kind of just shocked that that's, that's in place, but yeah. No. And I appreciate though your response Angela, because you know, I, I don't really watch the news as much as I used to, considering I used to work in it. Yeah. So I'm kind of like Patrick from SpongeBob. I kind of put my foot out from under the rock and get a few little breadcrumbs of information <laughs> <laughs> a little yeah. bit on the days that I'm like, okay, what's going on in the news? What do I need to know? And, you know, that's been a big topic, you mm. know, in the last couple weeks. And, you know, that's why I'm like, huh, I wonder 
what her take is on this, considering that obviously it has to do with life and children. And, you know, so if one system is placing a cap on this, then how is it going to, what's the water drip effect into the other ones that are feeding from it in, in hindsight? So I was just curious. No, I I thank you, though, for that answer. I really appreciate it. Well, we're going to take another quick break right here on Google Porsche. Everybody stick with us. We will be right back. everybody welcome back right here on Google Portia well Angela I thank you so much again for coming on and you know sharing so much wisdom with our listeners today if one of them was interested in connecting with you Angela is there a website or social media handle you want to leave with us today yeah so you can check out if anything around foster care supporting holistic healing for youth or adults with lived experience then you can check out www.soulfulliberation.com and then um that same thing on instagram soulful.liberation i think we're on twitter linkedin and facebook you should be able to find it <laughs> um and then yeah i guess also youtube And then our podcast, you can just type in Soulful Liberation Podcast and it should come up as well. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. So, Angela, I got to touch on this. I mean, you wear so many hats. You're an author, wife, speaker, advocate. How do you prioritize self-care without feeling guilty? Uh, I had to learn the hard way. (laughs) Oh, honestly. Um, Yeah, you know, I I had to learn the hard way because last year, and as I've said for my entire life, you know, I've only known to survive and, you know, to speak up and to be present only in my purpose, right? And go hard. Um, I'm a very passionate person. And so what I learned is that, especially, seeing so many people who are purpose-driven pass very early. Someone that I looked up to, like Chadwick Boseman, uh, like many of us did in Black Panther, that was very enlightening for me. And so many other people, like one of my favorite comedians, Bernie Mac, just so many people, you know, and, and I studied that and I'm like, it's always the health. It's always the health. And it seems like it just kind of creeps up on people. And so last year I was going hard, you know, I'm a coach. So I had like a group of clients doing all these different events for my book and for, you know, speaking and just back to back to back to back, like almost every day there was something that I was doing and um, I burnt myself out because not because I wasn't passionate, not because I wasn't in my purpose, but because I'm a human, I'm a human first. And I think that a lot of times for people that are purpose-driven and spiritually inclined and connected, we, you know, we take energy from that, right? Like you can be so energized and such on a high and for days and other things. And it's like, 
you have to ground yourself in your own humanness. You have to prioritize that you're eating three meals a day, that you're drinking your water, that you're, you know, tending to your soul um, and creating space for that, not just waiting for it to happen. And um, I burnt myself all the way out. And I was just like, I don't even want to do this anymore. I don't know how this is sustainable, you know, and again, um, humanness, like there's ebbs and flows, but I think it's about the life that you create in order to sustain your purpose, in order to sustain your passions. And I mean, you're human. I have to keep saying that, like, you have to really understand what that means for you and prioritize the things that really bring you joy and um, health, because it's not going to be sustainable long term, you know, if you have your purpose, and you know, that there's all these different things that you need to do in the world, you're going to have to be here in order to see that through. (laughs) So you have to take care of you. And I think, um, you know, being a wife and always, you know, doing everything for everyone and literally for the world, I had to realize like, this isn't sustainable and I don't want to burn out again. So how do I prevent that? How do I actually take the time and prioritize, prioritize the time? And if I say that, I think that I'm valuable and I know that I'm valuable then to myself and I'm worthy to myself and I am worthy of rest and I'm worthy of these things. But what does that look like on my calendar? What does that look like in my day-to-day? How many trips am I taking? If I say travel is important to me, you know? So it was about recentering, regrounding um, into my humanness and yes, entertaining um, all the other avenues of my purpose and my passions, but also taking care of my health and prioritizing that first so I can be that for other people. And I love that, Anila. I think we all need a lesson in self-care as in like a mandatory self-care course to really (laughs) prioritize our health (laughs) because it's hard to what I call find that balance when you're purpose-driven, you're so passionate about what you do. It's like, everybody needs to hear about this. You want to just spread all the love across the globe in five minutes. And we know, and I get like that too. I have to remind myself, Portia, don't you dare book another podcast interview. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes there's some weeks where I'll do maybe eight interviews a week to a day. And you know, then some days I start to look like the little patchy squirrel that's been, you know, in hibernation for too long. And I'm like, okay, Portia, pump the brakes. Ooh, and hello, I knew this was going to be a good reunion conversation. I thank you again for coming on. And like I said, sharing with our listeners so much, all the great things that you're doing to be a change agent in the world that we live in. So we're going to be wrapping up here soon, Angela, and you've left us with a lot, but I always love to leave this question for last. What words of inspiration can you leave with our listeners today? Whether it's someone who was like you at 16, who kind of lost their identity once they got into the foster care system, or if it's for an advocate who now wants to make a difference in their community and continue to change the narrative around the foster care system and help others become liberated and free. What inspir- what words of inspiration can you leave with our listeners today? I would say to 
ground yourself and definitely hold close your purpose. But remember that you are human too. And you are a person that deserves all the love and healing that you want to give to other people. You have to give it to yourself. And it it sounds kind of cliche and maybe it's like, yeah, I know that. But really feel that, like really embody that. Not just know it, but live it. And I think that you'll be able to give so much more and show up so much more you. And also start to uncover and unravel the parts of you that are suppressed, the parts of you that you've had to box in um, at some point and, you know, make it palpable for other people. What does that look like for those parts of you to be fully expressed and to be free? What does that look like for you to truly be you? And I think that's the gift that everyone, each and every one of us has to explore and give to the world. Ooh, absolutely, Angela. Those are key statements right there. What does it look like? And to truly envision it in your mind. I think Nikola Tesla said it best that he doesn't embark on anything unless he can fully see it in his mind first. And I think we all need to take that same approach with any situation that we've been dealt. Because I'm a firm believer that the seat that we currently occupy in life is where we need to be at the present moment. Well, everybody, that was Miss Angela Kehada Banks that you heard from. And that concludes another episode of Grew a Porsche, everybody. Thanks for listening and have a good evening. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.